not only am I coming back, but it was an, an important place because the last thing I did before COVID shut us down was in Detroit. It was a dress rehearsal for Carmina Burana. And when I think about it, I realized if that was going to be the last piece I ever conducted, I would not be happy at all. I mean, it's enjoyable to do, but not as a final work. <laughs> uh, so, so it shut down, and then I was able to come back to do one, uh, I think two programs actually that were streamed with smaller forces, but now we're back to, I, I don't want to say normal because it's not that way, uh, but at least we're back to full forces on the stage. For me, uh, coming back to Detroit uh, should be very exciting. It's a, ter a terrific program, uh, difficult, but one which the orchestra I know will handle as they always do with great musicianship and professionalism. Stick on the Detroit-centric topics here and uh, look at chapter five of your newest book, Classical Crossroads, of uh, the chapter entitled On Size, which really does focus on orchestras and their venues. And I wanted to uh, ask you a little bit uh, about page 24, where you say, in fact, the facility in which the ensemble performs is the instrument of the group. Can you kind of, in a nutshell, describe the Detroit Symphony Orchestra's instrument? Sure. What I meant by the that phrase is really quite simple. Violinist has their violin, trumpet has their trumpet. They are the instruments that they play. They learn to adjust to the quirks and strengths of that particular instrument. And orchestras do the same thing with their halls. A great orchestra can actually have a hall which may be less than what some people would consider ideal. The old Orchestra Hall in Chicago and the Academy of Music in Philadelphia come to mind. They were difficult halls to play for different reasons, and yet the orchestra built its personality and its style on that sound. They knew all the little quirks and tricks. They knew how to create an individuality of their sound in the hall, and that was wonderful. Detroit has been very, very fortunate to have one of the great halls, not just of the country, but of the world. The size is just right, between 1,700 people. The decay time, meaning the sound that reverberates, seems just about right. It's not too dry, it's not too wet, meaning it doesn't reverberate so long as to blur things. The players can hear each other very well on the stage. These are all qualities that you look for. To that end, it made it, at least during my time, really perfect for me because I could emphasize the incredible sound that came out of the string section, but at the same time, not have to shortchange the winds. This is Peter Worf for WRCJ and the Detroit Symphony Orchestra Radio Network. I'm speaking with Detroit Symphony Orchestra Music Director Laureate Leonard Slatkin, who's back in Detroit to lead the DSO in a program of World premieres by Samuel Adler, Joseph Schwantner, 
and the Fifth Symphony by Peter Tchaikovsky. Uh, in Chapter 9, which happens to be on music directors from your new book, Classical Crossroads, um, I wanted to read a passage from page 78 where you said that once in a while, music directors take up a piece and perform it with their home orchestra, a new piece I think you're referring to, only mm -hmm. to abandon the work when leading other ensembles. My predilection was to do as my predecessors did. When I found a piece that I loved, I played it everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, what's an example of that? Well, one of the composers we're playing this week, Joseph Schwander, was a composer in residence with me here in St. Louis. And so with all of my composers in residence, I would take their pieces literally everywhere. Uh, I love the sound and the style. The context here is you look at a composer, say, like Toscanini, who was a huge proponent of the music of Respighi and the, my successor, Maestro Bignamini, played Respighi last week. But Toscanini, whenever he would guest conduct, which was infrequent, of course, he would play Respighi all the time, recorded him, promoted him, constantly repeated playing his music, as he did with Puccini and several other composers. So uh, in the case of Joseph Schwantner, for example, certainly the New Morning for the World, which has become a staple of the repertoire for many orchestras, the work based on texts of Martin Luther King. Before the pilgrims landed at Plymouth, we were here. Before the pen of Jefferson etched across the pages of history the majestic words of the Declaration of Independence, we were here. For more than two centuries, our foreparents labored in this country without wages and built the homes of their masters in the midst of brutal injustice and shameful humiliation. And yet, out of a bottomless vitality, they continue to thrive and develop. But I guess it would be remiss of me to say that maybe my favorite one to do is a piece called Circuits by Cindy McTew, who also happens to be Mrs. Slatkin. Uh, it's a five minute piece, so it makes an ideal opener. It's energetic. It really works uh, well with almost any kind of program. So not only am I able to promote her music and a piece I love, but it keeps the royalty stream flowing as well. Maestro Leonard Slatkin is music director laureate of the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. Uh, his latest book is called Classical Crossroads and is rich in stories from uh, Maestro Slatkin's early musical life until the present. Uh, studying at Juilliard with French conductor Jean Morel and then uh, time as music director in Lyon. What does it mean to you to be a part of Detroit's French heritage, Paul Paré included? It, it meant an awful lot. Uh, Paré's work really does deserve a rehearing. He was a wonderful composer, and as all of his recordings, which have recently all been reissued, uh, attest, 
The orchestra was so astonishing under his direction. cool to hear some of the earlier stories that you tell too about your life in LA and the, the meaning that LA high school had for you. Um, <laughs> yes. your, your parents, of course, who were prominent uh, classical and big time LA studio musicians. And, and then it's really cool to see how you came into the studio with your first recording that you mentioned of Billy Goldberg's Red Sky at Morning, uh, your second studio recording of the soundtrack from Exorcist, uh, a time where you also played blackjack with Ringo Starr. Very yeah. curious about that. Uh, the blackjack was more interesting than the recording. <laughs> <laughs> any any plans to record the January February March? Very good. We have to tell people what that is. When I was in high school, I was in the band as well as the orchestra. In band, I played Glockenspiel and timpani and whatever I could. And the reason for this, it's a horrible reason and I shouldn't admit it, but I will. In the 1950s, early 1960s, at my public high school, LA High, if you were in the band, you didn't have to go to phys ed classes. I don't know why they thought we were that athletic out there. And just because I would lead one line down the 45 and then make a left go five yards and was the tip of the l in la i don't think qualified me to be excused from climbing ropes and stuff but i took it and more to the point after football season was over i don't think the administration realized we weren't outdoors anymore we just became a concert band and we still didn't have to go and do push-ups the january february march is by don gillis who was toscanini's prime orchestrator and a composer who wrote several works for the NBC Symphony. Very fine composer, should be played uh, not just more often at all, I guess. Uh, and the march was one that stuck in my memory forever. And I, there's gonna come a time when I bring back this cute, adorable little work, and indeed it is a march. great stories in Maestro Leonard Slatkin's newest book, Classical Crossroads, and uh, looking forward to uh, Tchaikovsky's story of the Fifth Symphony on the second half of today's live broadcast. Maestro Slatkin, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you very much. Take care of yourself. For WRCJ, this is Peter Worf.